You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rafke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Germany's relationship with China is one of Berlin's top priorities. In the past year, an increasingly critical debate has been taking place in Germany about its policy toward China. Germany has always emphasized its bilateral economic partnership, but a growing number of voices are calling for increased attention to geostrategic issues, China's changing international role, as well as matters like human rights. And many even see it as a new foundation of the transatlantic relationship, mirroring the emerging consensus in Washington that strategic competition with Beijing will dominate the American agenda for the foreseeable future. The German government recently published an Indo-Pacific strategy, which details German interests in the region and outlines the country's principal means of engagement. It also widens the aperture beyond just China and seeks to diversify Germany's economic interests in the Indo-Pacific and step up cooperation with a range of regional partners. Today, we're going to explore what this might mean in terms of political and economic engagement in the Indo-Pacific, what sort of security role Germany might envision, and how this will affect the German-American relationship. There's no question that Germany's approach to China has been toughening. The German government is poised to enact soon an information technology security bill that is expected to set high standards for 5G network equipment and could have the practical effect of barring Chinese telecommunications technology company Huawei from the build-out of the country's 5G networks. Berlin, since 2017, has repeatedly tightened its regulations over foreign investments, expanding its powers to scrutinize investments by foreign companies. Recently, the German government has been also been critical of the Chinese government's repression in Xinjiang um, and has suspended application of the extradition treaty with Hong Kong. But Berlin and the European Union have stopped short thus far of further sanctions. So these are indications that the bilateral relationship has become much more complex. But nevertheless, China under Chancellor Angela Merkel is still pursuing economic engagement with China and is seeking to conclude the EU-China Comprehensive Agreement on Investment by the end of this year. We are delighted to have with us on this episode of the Zeitgeist one of Germany's most senior diplomats, Ambassador Petra Zygmunt. She is the Director General for Asia and the Pacific in the German Foreign Office, in other words, Germany's top official for the region. Ambassador Zygmunt, thank you so much for making time to be with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, we are recording this discussion on America's Election Day. Um, and I have to say, we are in a way blissfully distracted, at least for these uh, few minutes, from the presidential contest uh, that is going to occupy my evening and probably your early morning um, in, in Berlin. Um, can I ask how you're going to spend the, uh, the, your election watch uh, uh, time? Oh, I think I'm going to tune into our news uh, to, to see how it's going. And then um, I, I think I'm in, a, in some kind of a, a, a video call very early in the morning tomorrow to, to see how, where we are and whether we do have results. So I'll be tuned in. Okay, <laughs> no doubt. Um, you know, of course, we don't know the victor uh, as we record this, but we do know that the topic we're about to discuss is going to be front and center in the transatlantic um, relationship, uh, China and the Indo-Pacific. Uh, 
if I could start, you know, there have been two, uh, I think, important um, uh, inputs to this debate in addition to the Indo-Pacific strategy. The Indo-Pacific strategy was released a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was an article by your foreign minister, Heiko Maas, uh, uh, on October 25th, I think, uh, in which he talked about the future of the transatlantic relationship. And he said that it would be decided in part through um, properly addressing China's rise. Um, and to that, I would also add um, uh, statements and a speech by the defense minister uh, and CDU chairperson, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, um, in which she talks uh, quite critically about, uh, about China and uh, raised even the idea of a German um, military or naval presence in the Indo-Pacific in one form or another. So uh, how, how do you see Germany's um, approach changing and how do you see the balance of these um, increasingly critical elements with the continuity, uh, Ambassador Zick? I think, I guess for us, um, uh, I wouldn't say there's been a, a sudden change in our attitude towards China. It's been slowly developing, if you wish, over the past years. Uh, and it culminated in the European Union's uh, strategic outlook on China 2019, when we all said China to us, to the European Union, is a partner, is a competitor, and is also a systemic rival. This reflected very well the debate that had been going on in China, in, in Germany, and reflects very well how we have seen our relationship uh, with China uh, develop. and. Um, um, it's got these uh, three elements, if you wish. There is a very important partnership that we do entertain with China. So it's an economic partnership um, that, um, in our view, is a good partnership. There is much to wish for. It's not balanced. It's not always fair, but it's a, a good and profitable partnership. Um, there is competition, um, uh, which economic competition especially. Uh, we have long you know, thought uh, China, Germany is so good in economic terms um, in so many areas that China is far behind and we need not to worry. Uh, and we've seen over the past years that uh, China has developed uh, tremendously and it is a, a very serious competitor to us in many markets, in many areas. And for us to, to, to come to grips with that competition, we need competition to be fair. Uh, and uh, we need to, uh, so we need to address this with China, but we also need to address this in Germany and in the European Union. How do we need to adapt to the kind of competition that we're seeing from China. What do we need to change in our policy? And then there is the systemic rivalry part, um, which um, you know for us is not a, a completely defined um, a term, but it, it it it's all that you know that that we think we need to criticize and publicly criticize about China's behavior. And that uh, a lot of it has to do with human rights and with violating international obligations and treaties and uh, with a certain um, uh, uh, competition about the political model which uh, 
uh, country has the better model. So we see all that and uh, we need to find uh, answers to that kind of rivalry also in our foreign policy. So it's come together over the past years and um, uh, still uh, we insist on, you know, um, uh, in our policy on stressing the partnership, um, uh, but uh, um, also at the same time stressing the areas where we uh, where we need to say we don't agree with China and where we need to sometimes take action um, uh, because we don't. Mm -hmm. Well, and, uh, and I think you've, uh, you, you've touched there on, of course, the multi-layered uh, mm -hmm. characteristic of Germany's foreign policy. Uh, on the one hand, uh, Germany has certain um, national uh, initiatives and policies, um, but you know, to a, an to a great extent, it is the policy of the European Union um, through which Germany expresses uh, or advances its interests. Um, and, and so um, I, I wonder if you could say a word about that because Germany is in the European Union presidency right now, uh, as, as many people know. And there was at the start an aspiration to complete the investment agreement with China, to hold a summit with China. Um, and, and in some ways that has been um, you know, impeded by the coronavirus pandemic. But it's not just the pandemic. I think it seems to me that there are still some outstanding disagreements about that agreement and about uh, how the European Union should approach China. So where does that stand um, with your European partners uh, right now? So we are for uh, several years already. We are, um, uh, the European Union is in negotiation with China on an investment uh, agreement. It's not purely and only an investment protection agreement. It's a market access agreement, really. Uh, which areas can we invest in, us Europeans in China, under which conditions? And we've, you know, we've negotiated, I think, for seven years already. And we've promised to each other that we end these negotiations with a meaningful agreement, but an agreement where we can't just simply meet in the middle uh, because Europe is the most open investment market in the world and China is the most closed investment market in the world. So we need China to come closer to, um, uh, to Europe when it comes to openness for investment. And um, uh, those negotiations, uh, are undergoing are still you know they are they're they're being um, uh, done in Beijing and in Brussels um, but one thing is clear we cannot um, uh, end those negotiations um, before we have meaningful content in that agreement because that investment agreement on the European side will need to be ratified in 27 member states and we will not go to our parliaments with an agreement that we're not convinced of and that we see from the start you know we, we need to uh, improve it and go on negotiating that's not what we are aiming at we aim at a good agreement that will give our companies European companies more market access in China and in the end, substance over time, or more important than timing, if we cannot get there this year under German EU presidency, then we will simply have to continue negotiating. But there is a little bit, and we've been saying that to, to our Chinese interlocutors, there is a little bit of a promise fatigue um, 
we've set so for so long we're going into this into this agreement and we've clearly established what we what we hope for through this agreement uh, so um, um, the effort we, we see uh, there should be a big effort uh, to, to conclude this now this year and we had um, laid out if you wish a summit meeting uh, uh, European heads of states with the Chinese leadership to you know the, to make the appetite to conclude in a in a in a in a, in a very visible way to, to make this appetite grow because you would have a good occasion then to celebrate all this but um, mm -hmm. Uh, corona, in a way, has um, prevented us from doing so. Um, I mean, there are means to celebrate a big agreement if, if we do have it, but now we, we, first of all, we need to see where we are about this agreement and whether we do have the content that we are, that we're aiming for. So, um, not clear. But on the other, the other really important issue, for us with regard to the relationship with China was um, that China commits to the prevention of climate change. We have worked hard on that uh, to get our commitment before COP26 in Glasgow um, from the Chinese side. And um, we were very happy to, 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 to hear um, at the United Nations General Assembly, the Chinese uh, uh, government announced that it wants to be uh, emissions uh, or CO2 neutral by 2060. That is a very good, uh, a very good progress that was reached um, um, and uh, a very welcome development uh, in, in, our, in, in our view. Yeah. Um, if I could take a step back from China and look more generally, uh, there, there has been some, uh, some comment from outside, I'm thinking in particular of uh, some European think tanks who have suggested that Europe needs to have more um, instruments and leverage when it comes to uh, its, its economic, um, uh, yeah, leverage, let's say. I, I wouldn't want to use the word coercion because I think that takes us into a different field. Um, but do you find that in your dealings with the um, Indo-Pacific uh, in your responsibilities that the European Union needs to have more um, uh, options at, on the table when it is trying to advance a European interest? Um, in our Indo-Pacific um, guidelines, we call them, um, we have in the economic sphere, um, we have clearly said that uh, we need to stress the partnerships with other players in Asia. When, it, when I look at Germany, we have probably been a little bit over-focused on China alone in Asia uh, in the past years. Our trade relationship with Asia, now German figures, is 48% is just China alone. Uh, that makes 52% is all the rest of Asia. But is, is that really a good distribution? Uh, so, um, we are very much supportive of the active free trade agenda of the European Union when it comes to, uh, to the whole of uh, the Indo-Pacific and, and the Asian countries. Um, we have inter-free trade agreements with Japan, with South Korea, Vietnam, Singapore. We're negotiating with Australia, New Zealand, uh, Thailand, um, uh, Indonesia, and we, we are striving to to re recommend our negotiations with uh, India 
uh, and we call this, or we label this a diversification policy, uh, where we don't want to, you know, um, uh, go away from China. China is a, a very, as I said, a good trading partner for most of um, uh, Euro the European countries, especially for Germany and uh, all coming out of Corona, we will all, you know, need to be doing business with China. Uh, so this is not about, you know, decoupling or so, but it's, it's about um, China plus X, as we call it. Um, uh, stress the trade relationship with other partners in the Indo-Pacific region and look at those with a more, more carefully and increase exchange and investments in other countries in the Indo-Pacific. Mm -hmm. um, so, of course, the United States has had its own um, uh, evolution in its approach to China, especially under the Trump administration. Um, but I think if you look, if you look at the, uh, the campaign of both candidates, uh, you'll find very uh, critical um, uh, words toward China and a desire uh, also to do more with America's uh, allies. So if I could start maybe there, you know, what's, are you, do you think there's a satisfactory level of, of German-American and transatlantic cooperation on China or the, do we need more of that? Um, I think, you know, we share many of the concerns of, and, and views, um, especially with regard to uh, Chinese behavior that we think needs to be uh, criticized or needs to be even, you know, refuted in the, in the, in the international, uh, in international institutions and organizations. We don't always share the policy answers, um, uh, but we've always been over the past uh, couple of years in good contact on China policy. And um, there is certainly, we can certainly do more and uh, coordinate on, you know, the right answers to be given to Chinese behavior. Also um, cooperate um, or, or support each other more when it comes to China policy. Um, uh, we think um, uh, this will, this can definitely be intensified and, 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 and taken further. Uh, but we do, um, and I wanted to, to say that very clearly, I mean, we do share a, a very critical view on uh, human rights when it comes to China, and we've been doing things together. We've been uh, calling this out, you know, in the United Nations. We've had uh, joint sessions on the situation of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang. We've been doing coordinated actions, parallel actions on uh, Hong Kong, for instance. Uh, not always, you know, saying the same words, but always acting in a in a very narrow coordination, if you wish. Uh, uh, then on 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 other issues, uh, for instance, uh, when it comes to um, um, uh, unfair trade practices or unequal opportunities when it comes to investment. We've also had a very good exchange between the US and Europe and Germany on how this can be tackled, what kind of measures can be adopted. So um, there is a very good basis already uh, for China policy and uh, it can absolutely be um, you know, taken to a new level um, in the future. And if I could uh, sort of dig into that a little bit, uh, you've mentioned, of course, that there are 
political uh, aspects to this, uh, human rights aspects, also trade and uh, the economy, I would add uh, technology policy perhaps, as well as international security. Uh, are there, if, if, you, if you had to make a recommendation to, uh, you know, to a senior official uh, for you know, one or two or three things um, that could be added quickly to the US-German uh, agenda on the Indo-Pacific, are there things that come to mind that you think are especially ripe for, uh, for strengthened uh, transatlantic collaboration? I mean, we'd have to um, uh, look at the areas. Um, uh, let me uh, say a few words about our Indo-Pacific guidelines that we've given to ourselves in uh, Germany. It all stems from, uh, you know, the realization that we need to zoom in on the Indo-Pacific region uh, a little more in German foreign policy. As I said, we've been very much focused on China, uh, but we've we've seen. Uh, there are um, uh, incredibly uh, big potentials for cooperating with the whole region and the other partners in the region. When we look at, you know, um, where do we find our political partners when it comes to acting in a multilateral way, uh, we find our political partners, of course, in the, you know, in, in the West, but also in the East. Um, uh, when I look at Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Singapore, ASEAN as a whole, India, we cooperate with many uh, of the Indo-Pacific uh, countries. Also, when I look at, as I said, our economic opportunities, uh, very, very promising figures that used to be before Corona in the region. So there is a huge potential to increase all of this. Um, uh, but we've also, or we also see, of course, the Indo-Pacific is under stress um, uh, because of a growing uh, rivalry between the U.S. and China in the region, uh, and uh, our interest in that in that region is, uh, it's, it's, as I said, it's an important economic partner, it's an important political partner. Our trade goes, goes through that region. Our trade uh, with East Asia passes the waters of the Indo-Pacific. So we have a huge interest in, in this region being stable, being free, being open, uh, following established rules. Uh, so um, in this Indo-Pacific policy, we're saying we need to be engaged more than we used to be for safeguarding, upholding the rules that are governing, for instance, the law of the sea in the whole region, um, uh, be more engaged to uphold freedom of navigation, but also um, um, uh, uh, sovereign rights of the uh, countries in the region. Mm -hmm. So um, we have become more active um, in um, uh, clearly stating our position especially on questions of um, um, uh, law of the sea and uh, the rules to be followed. Um, um, because, as I said, uh, we have an interest there uh, of this region remaining free, open, stable and secure for us. Uh, so um, this new activity by the German government has been welcomed by the U.S., has been welcomed by other uh, countries in the region, and we do think uh, 
Um, this was, you know, this is a start, but we will continue doing so because we continue to have all these interests in the region. Right. But then there's um, other areas in the Indo-Pacific policy, uh, but we're also looking for partnership and we've spelled it out, you know, it's whether it's fighting climate change, whether it's promoting uh, rule of law and human rights, whether it's promoting multilateralism through the many organizations that the Indo-Pacific has, free trade, of course, people-to-people -people ties. Um, so there is a there are many options to cooperate, and uh, we're looking forward to um, uh, to cooperation, especially with the U.S. in this important uh, theater that is so important for U.S. interests is also important for uh, German and European. Right. And, and I think that's one of the interesting things, uh, at least to, to me, in, in reading the guidelines is, you know, very early on, uh, the, the, this uh, strategy indicates that, that the key to shaping the international order of the future lies outside Europe. And, uh, you know, you could argue that that has been um, you know, apparent for some time, but I think that is a pretty stark reminder of the ways in which the international center of gravity has shifted, and um, and it is no longer about uh, Europe's direction or the transatlantic community per se. Um, it is about um, a much broader uh, geographic as well as set of strategic uh, issues. And, and and in that connection, I wanted to come back to what you were just uh, talking about, Ambassador Zygmunt. Um, because one of the things that I notice in the German discussion of, uh, of, of things that relate to Asia is, is that on the one hand, a, a, a repeatedly expressed um, aversion to being forced, as people say, to choose between the United States and China. Um, and, and you've, uh, you've uh, mentioned that uh, as well. Uh, but at the same time, when I listen to your description of the principles on which uh, Germany will uh, will engage in the Indo-Pacific, um, it's quite clear there is uh, a, an emphasis on standards, on international norms, on international law, and so forth. So, so if I take that, maybe uh, those two things together, what it amounts to is that, you know, if 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 the American choice is to engage uh, on the basis of shared international norms uh, and international law, um, then that's a choice Germany's happy to make. Uh, Germany's happy to be on that side. So um, what Germany really wants to avoid is being forced to choose between an adversarial American relationship with China um, or it's being, being forced to choose in an American adversarial relationship with China. But Germany is quite happy to choose when there is a, a predictable um, uh, norms and standards-based American approach. Is that a fair statement, do you think? Um, yes, um, we've said clearly in the guidelines, we, we want you know, the Indo-Pacific to be neither unipolar nor bipolar. Uh, so that is one, you know, one of our big concerns that we would be forced to choose and uh, um, stressing the standards and areas of cooperation and leaving those areas of cooperation open to all actors. That's important for us. Um, our guidelines um, um, have, uh, have included China, and we said so uh, very clearly, 
It's also an invitation to China to work with us uh, in the areas that China chooses to cooperate in. And we do see promising areas. When I look at, for instance, uh, fighting climate change, I mean, we've, we've heard good announcements here. We've seen some actions, much more needs to be done, but there are clearly areas, um, and this is one of them, where we can work very well with China. So that's one of the areas where, <coughs> Um, um, we, it's important for us to recognize that, uh, that um, uh, our, the, our attempted policy is inclusive, doesn't exclude anyone from the start, but invites partners to cooperate around, as you said, you know, norms and standards that we've all chosen, uh, chosen to uphold in the Indo-Pacific. And those are, to us, these are agreed principles, a rules-based international order, fighting climate change, upholding human rights, fighting extremism, terrorism. It's nothing you know, new, if you wish, on the, in the areas that we're seeking to promote. Um, uh, newest to us that we get, in, get in, engaged in a, in, a, in a much more concentrated, visible, and with much more effort in this area. Um, <clears throat> and that we've realize, as you said, uh, not only the future world order is, is uh, to, to a large part is going to be shaped in this, in this area, but we have interests in this area. We have good partnerships in this area. We have an interest of this area being governed by uh, the principles I mentioned by this area, this region to, to remain open and peaceful and stable because our well-being uh, is dependent on uh, the, the upholding of those principles in the Indo-Pacific region. So we're not, we don't have other than France uh, and Great Britain, we don't have territory in the Indo-Pacific, uh, but nevertheless, um, it is uh, very important to our interests, our values, our principles, and that is why we seek to engage more in the region. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that you've also uh, highlighted in, in, your, in your answer there, uh, there, there's a kind of a disconnect in the United States thinking uh, in, in many cases. Uh, we, we sometimes have an instinctive uh, expectation of solidarity from our allies. Um, and, and I think that, that we often focus a bit too much on that rather than on the substance and the interests that are at stake, which between the United States and Germany, between the United States and Europe are shared. Uh, they are common uh, interests to, uh, to a very great extent. Um, mm. and, uh, and so, you know, on both sides of the Atlantic, sometimes we make uh, policy issues uh, kind of loyalty tests, which I think is unproductive in the in the long run. That's my own personal observation. You don't have to comment on it. Um, but I, I think, you know, what you're outlining is uh, are ways in which the transatlantic community uh, can find common cause, can pursue interests together on a sustainable basis that won't depend, you know, on a change of government in Europe or in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think we do have in, in some uh, policy areas, we do have uh, different strategies, different views, different policies that we follow. Um, those uh, need to be or can be coordinated. Uh, they 
can be discussed. Um, uh, but I think we need to accept that we make our own choices. And in the European Union, uh, we also need to, uh, you know, have try and you know keep the union together. So that's 27 sovereign governments and sovereign states that we need to, co to, to that we need to keep together to follow one policy. By the way, we've introduced um, um, uh, the whole topic of you know zooming in on the Indo-Pacific as a European Union in the union's uh, uh, discussions also. And we've advocated together with France and uh, some other um, countries in the European Union, supported by them, that we come up with a with a strategic outlook, uh, 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 an EU strategic outlook on the Indo-Pacific. So that it's not just individual member states uh, pursuing a policy, but that it's the European Union as a whole. But then, when it comes, when do you think we might see that yeah. kind of a? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think it's going to take uh, so long or too long because you know we do have important policy elements already. As I mentioned, economically, we have right. a very active free trade policy already underway. So we need a you know uh, and and uh, when it comes to upholding principles of uh, uh, of the rules-based international order and the law of the sea and uh, you know sovereignty and following um, uh, um, uh, fo fo following uh, uh, um, um, the verdict of Den Haag for instance on the South China Sea so we do have you know um, um, we, we've discussed this in the European Union we have a policy on this so we what we what we will do is we we put this all in a coherent framework uh, and, uh, and, uh, and see what, what other elements can be added. So we're not starting from zero. It's just mm -hmm. new for us to, um, to, to focus in a very conscious and, uh, um, and visible way on, on, this, on, on this region, which hasn't been so much in the focus of your right. But then, uh, yeah, sorry. No, do you think we might see that um, by the end of the year when Germany's EU presidency wraps up, or is that something for 2021, in your opinion? Um, we would hope for it to come very fast, but with Corona, you know, our whole working methods are so much impeded in the European Union. Uh, I don't know, but uh, certainly we all, there is an awareness it should come fast. Um, yeah because it's the right policy to adopt um, and um, their ex expectations are high in the region also. So you should see this rather sooner than later. Um, right. Okay, uh, you've been very generous with your time, Ambassador. And I, if I could ask just one last question, um, and that is about the role of the legislative um, uh, branch. Uh, we at AICGS we have uh, we have done uh, we've put a lot of uh, time and uh, effort into following China policy and uh, policy toward the Indo-Pacific, and we've talked to people from uh, industry, people from the uh, from the public service like yourself, people uh, and politicians as well. One of the things that strikes me is the way in which the the German discussion on policy toward the Indo-Pacific has had a high degree of parliamentary uh, uh, impetus and, uh, uh, and participation. Uh, one of our recent guests was Neil Schmid from the SPD and the, the SPD caucus, of course, uh, published a, um, uh, their own uh, paper on China policy. 
Uh, we also had Gude Jensen with us from the FDP, chair, uh, chairperson of the Human Rights Committee, um, as well as Reinhard Butikofer, uh, active in uh, the European Parliament uh, and head of the China delegation. Um, is, do you see the, um, how do you see the role uh, of the legislative side um, and how do you see it changing um, as, as you look ahead, whether it's to a possibly a, a more coherent European uh, statement of principles or the uh, implementation of Germany's own new guidelines? Um, we, we've had uh, a lot of discussions um, with members of the German parliament, members of the European parliament, and we see uh, a convergence of views between governments and parliamentarians on, on this policy, uh, on the emerging um, in the Pacific policy, in the Pacific focus, but also on, you know, how to deal with, um, how, how to deal with the challenges posed by China. Uh, because the in the Pacific policy guidelines, I mean, they are a part also of an overall strategic outlook on how to deal uh, with China. Uh, and the European thinking and evolving strategy with regard um, uh, to dealing with China is, you know, one area is, you know, how we, how we interact with China itself. Um, where do we need to clearly criticize them? But where can we also partner with them? Which are the areas? So that's one important thing. And there's going to be much more focus on reciprocity. You mentioned that in the future in some of the areas where we just basically have very large asymmetries between the Union and China. Then there is a second pillar of our China strategy. That is, you know, how do we need to adapt ourselves in the European Union and in the member states to the kind of competition coming from China. And that has many, many aspects where we say, if we can't change China, we can change ourselves. Uh, so we have the domestic uh, um, uh, actions to take, domestic policies to adopt, whether it's uh, dealing with uh, um, uh, state subsidies, whether it's reforming our industrial policy, the very big area of um, digital sovereignty, innovation, to, 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 to tackle all this competition and this, these new economic challenges and technological challenges. And the third really important pillar is in our partnerships. Um, we need to strengthen our partnerships, political partnerships, economic partnerships, to balance a little bit um, our, as I said, um, economic, especially over-focus on China that we've had in the past years. And that means that we, uh, that we uh, take other economic partners into closer consideration, that we work out our agreements with them. Uh, but this also has this political side uh, where we where we, where we enter into, especially with, with the Indo-Pacific uh, countries, where we enter into much closer political cooperation. Uh, there is, uh, there is a, a huge potential uh, that we haven't uh, used in the past years, and um, uh, where we think uh, through much more political exchange, we can learn about their concerns uh, and, 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 uh, and, and find allies, if you wish, in upholding the principles and the rules-based order in the Indo-Pacific region. So um, this was a long answer, 
but I think we're coming more and more to a more, you know, a, 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 a European strategy on how to deal with the new challenges that we see coming to us. And I think the more coherent we are in our answers to those challenges, the more um, uh, buy-in uh, we also get by our parliamentarians. We can't have fragmented answers. We need, you know, a strategy to deal with the challenges that we are seeing, and I think we're in the process of getting there. We're not yet there, and uh, of course we need transatlantic partnership in order to um, uh, uh, to uh, um, find the areas that can really only be tackled uh, if we act together, Europe and the United States, and uh, uh, we think uh, if we do have this renewed uh, transatlantic partnership, then with regard to the Indo-Pacific, with regard to China, um, really we can get a lot done. Yeah. Well, you know, in a way, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot for the last half hour or so about China, and in a way, China policy is everything policy. Because China is, uh, you know, it, it has enormous uh, size, economic weight, technological aspirations, diplomatic um, uh, diplomatic might, and increasingly uh, you know, military. And so, um, you know, it, it, everything that uh, that our countries care about is affected in one way or another by China. So it's in a, in that sense natural that uh, that China. Is is a part of all of these deliberations. Um, you know, I think you've outlined today um, you know, a lot of uh, uh, principles that have a long history in German diplomacy: um, uh, international norms, the importance of international law, multilateral um, uh, action wherever possible. Um, but talked about how they are applied with new coherence and focus on uh, on an extremely important part of the world. So. Uh, Petra Zygmunt, I want to thank you for, for your time, for being our guest uh, today uh, on the Zeitgeist, and for spending part of Election Day uh, with us. Thank you, Jeff, for uh, having me in your program. And um, yes, have a good Election Day. You yourself, don't forget to vote. <laughs> I, I voted weeks ago, uh, as it turns out. Uh, it, it, you can vote early here in Virginia, where I live. So I've taken care of that. and. Uh, and we will look forward to being in touch again and, uh, and to having all of our listeners uh, uh, with us um, on future uh, episodes of The Zeitgeist. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören.